Hey everyone, welcome to She Brigade the Podcast. I'm your host, Bilun Klimsimech. On each episode, we bring you amazing trailblazing women to come share with you their life and career journeys, from entrepreneurs to nine to fivers and everyone in between. Our guests go through all of the highs and all the lows of this life journey that have brought them to being who they are today. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of She Brigade. On today's show, I'd like to welcome Londi Novo. Londi is a global ship navigator and Africa's first female dredge master. With over 13 years experience in the maritime industry, her background includes maritime studies, international merchant shipping experience, and advanced dredging from the Netherlands IHC. She's currently working as a maritime compliance manager, and she's the founder of Global Maritime Youth and the chief executive of War Maritime Experts. All of this has led her to her well-known and well-fitting, if I might add, title of The Black Mermaid. Welcome to the show, Londi. <laughs> Hi, fellow. Hi. Thanks for having me. Finally, we're doing this. <laughs> I know. I'm really glad to be doing this. <laughs> okay, so Londi, I'm so, I'm, so, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Um, you're my first maritime guest that I've had on the show. So I'm very, like, I'm excited to explore that world a bit more with you. Okay, so let's take it all the way back. Take <laughs> us all the way back, um, your upbringing and your childhood. Who were you as a child growing up and what led you to being who you are today? Sure, okay. Uh, thanks for having me again, Pillow. Uh, I'm from Durban. I grew up in a township called Clement in a two-bedroom home with my parents and my sisters. Um, I had a happy childhood. I had a very happy childhood. Uh, and not financially liberated one, but uh, quite a happy one. Um, I tried I tried a lot of things at school. I tried most extramural activities. <laughs> Modeling, I was there. Speech and drama, I was there. <laughs> Dance, I was there. I was just that, that girl, you know? Yeah. I was just that active girl. And I had my parents' support through and through. And uh, my dad was very strict, though. My dad was very strict, but I was such a daddy's girl. Still am. And my mom, oh, bless her, the glue and the rock of our family. Mm. Um, yeah. But when I got to high school, I remember um, being chosen to be part of a six month uh, exchange student program with a school uh, called Cockburn High in Leeds. It's in West Yorkshire in the UK. Uh, this was in year 2000, and I was doing grade eight. Uh, I was only 18. No, actually, I was 13. <laughs> I was only 13 then. Yes. I remember going home to deliver the news to my parents, which should have been quite exciting. <laughs> I was excited. But they were so fearful. They were very fearful. And I guess uh, given my age, being 13 at the time, mm. um, they, the, I guess the fact that they were going to themselves, they'd never flown, they'd never left the borders, the borders of South Africa. So I guess it was quite a fair, fair insecurity from their part. Uh, but they granted me permission and um, slowly got used to the idea. I remember they even started planning a bride. It was meant to be my send-off party. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I remember it was quite a, a confusing moment to say, I'm only 13 and there I am just going to be away for six months. Mm. But as much as they pretended eventually to be cool with the idea, um, I, I'd catch my dad squeezing my mom saying, Kulega cooking and you know, oh. uh, chill, you know. <laughs> uh, me on the other hand, though, I was like, whoop, whoop, 
let's be God. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> let's be God, you know? Uh, but what was most intriguing, Pillow? What was most intriguing um, and I guess maybe confusing uh, my grandfather who had come for the bride? I remember hearing him shouting at my parents saying, Nikalilan, you know, Nikalilan, Angitsu Londiwelo, Ulondiwelo. It didn't make sense. It, like, it ended there. It did not make sense to me at all um, until I gave it time to sink in. You know, um, a child born before me uh, in my parents' wedlock passed away a few days after she was born. Her name was Lungile. Um, I was named Lundiwe, meaning protected. And I was named by my grandfather, who sympathized greatly with my parents losing their child. Mm. And he, he then affirmed me the protected one. Uh, when this eventually clicked, though, I, 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 I carried it with me when it clicked. So when I, when I got to Leeds, um, I could barely speak English. I went to an all-black school. I could barely speak English. I absolutely knew no one, but I did stay with a very warm family and I had a good friend, Lisa Shiera, we're still friends. And um, so when I got there, for some reason, I, I didn't really understand much of what they're saying, but I was also lucky to get into a speech and drama program, which was a program found by a speech and drama that I was doing at school. And so I didn't have to do much talking here. I would mm. act, I would just mime, I was dancing, uh, and we very we clicked. Lisa and I clicked, and I guess that's why we remained so tight, even when we could barely understand each other then. Um, um, but even with the very little spoken English, I remember being very happy. I was very happy. Um, but on days where I would feel homesick and um, I would miss my parents, I would recall a very beautiful memory of my grandfather saying, you know, mm. and I think for me, those were days I got to grasp the true meaning of my name, Londi, you were protected. And I just, they were just so reassuring, I guess, the energy that I'm okay, I'm okay. And six months later, I came back to SA, uh, you know, reunited with my family. And the following year, <laughs> the school came back again what are the chances they say we want some more kids, but that one lonely way must come back. <laughs> <laughs> and one would think, give, give other kids a chance. Yes. So the school wrote a letter to say, yes, we're giving other kids a chance, but that lonely child needs to come back, you know? So I guess for me, it was just a defining moment to say, hey, and most, most importantly, just realizing there's got to be a higher power in charge of my destiny, mm. you know? But when I got to grade 10, now coming into the maritime industry, when I got to grade 10, uh, now deciding on my subject stream, we had done um, 12 subjects and now we needed to cut them down to six or seven, eight, I think. And my school was already a technical school there. I went to Isitengilit in Clermont. It was already a technical school. Uh, I joined in the year 2000, but in the 90s, they already had introduced technical uh, subjects like welding, tourism, speech and drama, technical drawing. Um, so in the year 2002, when I did grade 10, they were launching maritime studies and uh, with A's and B's for maths and science and languages as a prerequisite. 
and now I had met this. I had met the the the, the prerequisite, um, the entry requirement, but I didn't like it. I didn't like to do <laughs> any of these technical subjects. I mean, I really loved speech and drama. I really really loved speech and drama, and I chose speech and drama. Um, but I was called in. I was called in and told, "Listen, you have good maths and science. You choose A, B, and C." Ish. And so <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, I mean, for me, it was like such a ball because I had, I, I, I had, I had proven that I'm good at this subject, guys. You sent me even overseas to do this. To do I was good thing. at it, you know. But they said, yeah, choose A, B, or C. And so um, the nice thing though was that as uh, for for girls, then we had moved from the era of teacher nurse, you know. Yeah. So if you're a girl and you had good medicine science, it was nice that you become an engineer or an accountant. So having good medicine science could, you know, slot you into those. Mm-hmm. But I still didn't like them. So instead, <laughs> I just decided to do technical drawing. I did technical drawing with an excitement or maybe rather a hope to say, a hope that I would do freehand drawing and do eclipse, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, but it got boring because then when you get to machine drawing, it, it also yeah, it's gets not the same. <laughs> I'd get bored again. But just a few weeks, it's not the same. It's not the same. It gets technical, but yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't about that. I I did well. I had good grades, but it needed to keep me very uh, like my mind stimulated, mm. and I needed to be jumpy and and just you know get more creative. Uh, but in a few, a few weeks within the grade, a teacher came to me and said, Londi, I heard you wanted to choose speech and drama. I said, yeah, I still do. And he said, oh, well, then why don't you join maritime studies, maritime class? Did you hear about it? I said, I heard about it, but what is it about? No one really knew. The teachers knew nothing about the subject. The only thing that we were told is that it was about, <laughs> about the ocean. <laughs> now, being a black <laughs> child, imagine. <laughs> it was an absolute mood kill, Puello. You immediately think of the Titanic. <laughs> so, it, was, <laughs> it was an absolute mood kill for me. So I was like, yes, I heard it was about the ocean, teacher. But uh, no, I'm Aye, not there. I'm okay. Yeah. You know? And so he says, I know that we're confusing you. I know we, we're confusing you, but I, I ask you that you go home and think about it. And um, yeah, maybe, just maybe you might uh, like it. I do know, having taught you that you like unique stuff. Mm. And because we want you to use your medicine science, so please go home and think about it. So I went home and I told my parents and my dad said he trusted me with the, to make the right decision. So went to my room. I shared a bedroom with my sisters. And I grabbed a free-for-all teenage newsletter. That time we used to get them for free dozen monthly newsletters. And I got this, went straight to my horoscopes, being a teenager. <laughs> so I went straight to my horoscopes. And I remember um, reading my horoscope. Now, I'm a Pisces. Yeah. Before I could read even further, I saw this fish. <laughs> Seeing this fish before I could write my, into my dearest diary, I saw this fish. I'm like, done. That's the Meant one. to be, I'm there, <laughs> it's a sign. <laughs> it's a sign. Uh, the next day, the next day, without a doubt, I joined the class and yeah, that was the beginning of my lower grades maritime journey. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like who would have thought that, <laughs> like you probably weren't even thinking like far ahead into the future, 20 years into the future, but who would have thought that that moment would actually catapult you to what you are today? <laughs> 
So, okay. So then, exactly. um, exactly. So now, so going into varsity, so you had, you did maritime from grade 10 to 12 then it's going into varsity. Uh-huh. How did you know uh-huh. what you were going to study? Um, can you tell us a bit about that journey? Okay. So, um, um, further in deciding the subjects for me, in deciding my subject stream, maritime studies, all the way through to matric, I had become the SRC president. And I guess this was because I'm bubbly and I loved people and, you know, I had good grades. So and people I guess I like you. Most goals, so <laughs> I like I you. Oh, it's just so cute though, just thinking about it, you know, but um, I had the most votes and became the SRC president. So um, we also had a very active school principal. So we would go visit the harbor. We would go take boat rides and I had, we, we would watch the Titanic. But some days we would have a, uh, some students or lecturers from the Durban University of Technology where maritime studies um, was enrolled for, you know, tertiary. It was maritime studies being done in DUT or CPUT in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. So I would, being the, being the president, I would go and fetch uh, the, the lecturers from the gates. I would walk with them. I'd bring them to class and I'd make them feel comfortable. And um, so when I got accepted at the DUT to enroll, because the subject became my first and my last choice eventually, I already knew the lecturers. And oh, the second wow. students, you know, and the second yeah. year students. I already knew them from the high school. So I'd be like, hey, I'm out of my uniform now, but I'm here. Hello. You know? <laughs> I made it. So, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> so, you know, so varsity went very smoothly for me, but the grades did drop. Hey, <laughs> the grades <laughs> did drop. I wasn't much of an A student anymore, but I did connect a lot with the subject. And uh, so it became my only choice. And I, I really, really liked it. And I always tell my husband that my grades dropped when I met him. <laughs> this was in 2005. <laughs> it was my first year. <laughs> it was my first year of varsity. Mm. But yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> okay. So then, um, so you, you went and studied maritime studies. And tell us a little bit about getting your first job and moving into the working world in a career in maritime? Oh, mm. oh wow. Okay. So um, at Varsity, shipping companies used to come in uh, and recruit their interns. We call them cadets. Um, and I was fortunate to fall into a period where shipping companies were encouraged to, to hire more females. You know, So virus companies would come once a year and I had passed the aptitude test uh, by a largest shipping company. Lucky me, it was a Maersk shipping line. So when I got called in for my first interview and um, they had told me that they were taking a larger intake of females, I was lucky to go into the second interview uh, slot again. And I got accepted. So, so this time going away for me meant a much greater deal. Mm. You know, I'm no longer 13 and I'm going to join a whole ship you know, and commence my career professionally as a cadet. And um, so the, how it works on the ships is um, well, the, how the ranks are. There are three main departments on the ships, right? And I get this a lot, so I always try to just clarify it. Yeah. There's three main uh, departments on the ship. There's a catering department. <laughs> yeah. There's a catering department, uh, the gali, where the chef is uh, and the chef heads. And um, then he's got her, her, her subordinates. And there's the engine room where the engineers are, where a chief engineer ha- uh, leads and 
then there's a second engineer, there's a third engineer, there's a fourth engineer. Most of them are, they do mechanical engineering. So then mm-hmm. yeah, they fall under that. And then there's the bridge. The bridge is where the captain is, where we navigate the ship, where the captain is. And she has uh, her subordinates being the chief officer, the second officer, the third officer. So I was training to become one of them in, mm. at the bridge. And so uh, we'd go around the globe for six months and back home for a month or two and away again for um, five months and back again for a month or two, you know, until you meet the minimum requirements and you then receive all your signatures in your training book and then you can qualify for your first license. Uh, my first ship was in Singapore and I remember mm-hmm. <laughs> the ship agent dropping me off uh, with my luggage and in front of this massive ship. It was huge and uh, full of containers. <laughs> and I thought to myself, girl, are you okay? What are you thinking? <laughs> you know, are you, are you okay? What were you thinking? So, and as I was climbing up the ship I met, to meet the captain, in my head, I was thinking, oh, my word, four bars, you know, one day, you know. Um, I got shown my cabin. I met, uh, I met everyone and I was introduced to everyone, all the crew members. And in my imagination, leaving home, I, would, I was imagining, you know, black and white, uniform, stripes and epaulets, you know. Mm, mm. Um, girl, I was, I, was, I was given overalls. I was given overalls. <laughs> I had to go and trip. <laughs> you have to earn the buzz, I yeah. I had to go and chip. I had to paint. I had a whole ship maintenance work log. I had to make coffee. <laughs> I felt so duped. I felt like fraud. Mm. You know, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> but I, but I also knew that um, if this is how I meant to gain the discipline for this now home then by all means. And so, but I, I, I mean, I won't sit here and lie to say that it was smooth. No, it wasn't. But uh, I mean, being the only female amongst different and differing nationalities, uh, walking on eggshells, not knowing who's who mm. and where stuff is and where in the globe are we, you know? As a young girl, I felt really, really lost. And some men were the same age, age as my own dad, and, but they would still see a potential girlfriend. You. you know, in me. And some were much younger, but they, they, they simply disliked my skin tone, you know. Oh, no. um, the worst part is, uh, I guess, the worst part is realizing that after all the years of studies, um, it was just all theory, you know. This button that you're seeing out of so many buttons, you know so much about it and you, you aced it, but you're scared to touch it, <laughs> you know. So the best way uh, to maintain peace is to just continue making coffee. So mm. I continued making my coffee. You know, back then we also couldn't connect with family as often as we wished. We had an email system on board and the captain had control of it. And my parents didn't have an email address, you can imagine. <laughs> uh, so when you get ashore to the shoreside, wherever, whichever country, and uh, then I would be able to buy a phone card or use those coin, t- coin t- telephones and mm. I'd be able to connect with family. But as a young girl, family and friends were my anchor, you know. And there I was, out of reach and floating. Uh, so once again, I, I, once again, I was forced to pull back to that 13-year-old. Mm. 
that reassuring voice to remind me that there definitely is a higher power in charge of my destiny. And I remember waking up uh, in from my cabin one day. It was one morning. And I went to uh, forward stations. Um, I don't know how to explain, but remember where Rose stood? Remember where Rose stood at the in, Titanic? In the Titanic. Yes. So that's the forecastle. And at the, uh, at the, I, I went there. At the front yes, of the at ship. The bow. At the, Oh, is that what it's called? Yes. I'm like at the front. Of, I was yeah. going to say at the corner, at the tip. Yes, you're right. You're right. Yes. At the tip of the bay. <laughs> okay, yeah, so where, where she stood. So I went there and I remember standing there very much defeated. You know, mm. just watching the sunrise and in the morning, you know, the, def- the dolphins would chase the ship bow as it moves. You know, when mm. you see the dogs chase the cars mm. like that. Yeah. Uh, the the fly fish jumping into the ship wake uh, the ship's wake as it moves you know and being young i imagined a mermaid you know just appreciating the ble- the blessings and the beauty that surrounded me yeah um, i remember <laughs> ariel being the only mermaid <laughs> yeah. you know that i knew of you know don't know how many there are now but i remember i also only know ariel now <laughs> i remember titling myself a black mermaid you know and mm. i'm like why not you know <laughs> So I think Pelo for me, without realizing it at that time, branding myself was the only defining moment for my career. And I wasn't, I, I wasn't aware that I'm branding myself there. Sure. But it was defining who I am and claiming my position on board. I mean, one which I'd worked so hard for, you know. Mm. I remember going back to the captain and I told him, have you ever seen a black mermaid? He's like, what are you on about? What are you on about now? I said, well, standing right in front of you is a black mermaid. <laughs> so it was funny. But I, I knew what I was trying to claim. You know, yes. it was the power that I know I, I had it in me, you know. Mm. But from that time, my energy shifted, you know. My training started to flow for me, surprisingly, mm. because the energy I exuded after recalling and claiming my power uh, the energy I exuded uh, was one that most people could warm up to. The mm. crew warmed up to my energy because, hey, by the way, we are all suffering from separation anxiety, from homesickness, you know? Mm. We could talk about their wives. We could talk about their children. I could talk about my boyfriend. I could talk about my parents, you know? My worldview shifted when I decided to let go of that armor, you know? As it was no longer serving me, and I decided to respect the silent whispers of my true self. Mm. And there was a young girl, 13-year-old, there on a mission to become something, you know. And so many ships yet later, many, many ships later, many countries later, years later, I got my first license as a ship navigator. And the, the years after qualifying, uh, my boyfriend was 20. I was 22, he was 24. He popped the question. <laughs> he popped the question and I was home, obviously. I've yeah. been home. But I was very direct with him, almost like, dude, you know I'm still trying to take my stripes, right? So I told him, promise me adventure. It's a yes. Promise me adventure because I've missed out on so much. I've missed out a lot in life, friends, family. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just told him I need two years before, 
two years before we I could walk down the aisle. Two I, years. I, <laughs> I gave him two years and he gave me two years. We got married at 24 and he was 26. I was 24. So, yeah. So, I mean, I continued to travel until such time a, you know, change screamed in my ear. I knew it was time for change. And so I came back to Africa to join yet another big logistics company and in their shipping division, it's called dredging services. So um, I was not, I was, I continued to drive ships, you know, but it was just a different kind. Can you, as I continued, mm, can, you, sorry, can you explain what dredging is for the listeners that might not know? Oh, okay. So yes. I had moved from containers. When you see those ships, <clears throat> big containers, I had moved from driving those ones to navigating dredges. Dredges are the kinds of ships that maintain the harbors. They, make, they maintain the depth of the ocean. So imagine like a big straw, you know, a big straw. So we're just maintaining the depth. And we would also go deep sea to, 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 to dredge the fresh sand and, pumping, and pump it out to the beaches where mm. you go. That, you know, when you go to the beach and the sand keeps getting sucked in by the ocean. Yes. We feed that back. We feed that back. And we do this in, you know, like everywhere. So that bigger ships, bigger international ships, can keep coming into the harbor without getting stuck okay, okay. Or, or running or running aground. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's much more vast, but I mean, in, in, layman ter- in layman's terms, I think that's basically it. Mm. And so when I came back to now drive these ships, a different environment, completely different. But as I continued to work for this company and um, a couple of years later, I, I got comfortable and I got comfortable to a degree where I could train to become that shipmaster. Uh, a much more different environment it was very different in a way that it was more homely. I could speak my language and I could give orders, but the discipline was different because these were much older men that uh, called for a different approach, you know, but when I passed to be a dredge master <clears throat> and one morning my colleague came up to me and said, Hey, do you realize there's actually never been a first and so I think that's when my company got a moment to shine. And so Jenna just come, came through to say Africa's first female judge master and all the noise and, you know. So you didn't realize that you were the first when you became the first? I wasn't looking at being the first. I just so happened mm. to be one that trained to become a judge master in this now African company that I had, you know, explored. Uh, I wasn't looking to be first. I landed in the first. And that's mm. when the the noise actually followed. Uh, I guess also that's when I got, to, I, I lost control. Sort of, of what I'd worked hard for, actually, being first. A narrative that I emphasize for us to intentionally, as, as, as the people to intentionally uh, try to break, not necessarily break, but to, to, to just shift from. Mm. In your in your TED talk, you said, "Ensure you're an active first, and ensure that you're the first and not the last." Exactly what I stand for, yes. and hence, even when you go to my social to my socials, I do know that I'm a first, and I embrace that wholeheartedly after taking time off the noise, being first, but I'm actively trying not to be the last. Mm. Mm. I mean, that's beautiful. Um, is that Maybe one of the reasons why you started your global youth maritime? 
precisely. So I would get kids coming to me saying, Sis Londi, I want to become like you. Sis Londi, I want to be like you. You know, I've studied this, I've done this. And to me, I never necessarily had the answer on how to get there because like, you know, I mean, we can't share the same journey, but we, we, we may share the same journey, but how we get there may not be exactly the same. Mm. So when kids say, I want to be like you, and I immediately imagine, oh, but maths and science, and that's where it starts, you know? And so mine, with starting the Global Maritime Youth is saying, even if you don't have good maths and science, what are you good at? A child may be good in makeup. Who's doing makeup in cruise liners? Oh, Children wow. are good at DJing. Who's DJing for, for, for cruise liners? You know, you may be good at speech and drama, you know, but who, who, who does theoretical acting and, 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 and performances on board cruise liners? You know, um, you may be good with your hands. Those craft, uh, crafty creatives, who buys stuff from them so it uh, it's just basically just changing the narrative to say my journey doesn't have to be exactly the same as somebody else's and so I'm trying to get a child without good maths and science who really loves speech and drama like I did to be able to say I'm sailing across oceans and I'm doing what I love and mm. I don't have to be a ship captain mm. Mm. Sure, I love it. Um, Londi, can you tell us a bit about some of your highlights, the highlights of your journey, as well as some of the lowlights of your journey? Mm, sure. So my, my, my lowlights, okay, let me start with my lowlights and then end it on, the, on, on maybe a high. <laughs> <laughs> after, after, being, after, after attaining the title of being first, I got promoted to, okay, I stayed for a while. But I also got promoted uh, to be to to sit with the executive committee as a maritime compliance manager, and one would imagine it's a full circle. You're finally coming back home, and it's actually been worth it. You know, mm. uh, getting this break. Um, for me, uh, it wasn't quite uh, quite like that. Um, I experienced so much imposter syndrome coming to the shoreside on land. I didn't have much experience mm. I had been a person who navigates a ship you know I didn't have much corporate experience but sitting in those boardrooms okay sitting in a boardroom in front of my of the screen you know for hours you know sitting in endless meetings for hours you know for me back home I mean for me on board the ship I would wake up and I'm at work knock off I'm at work you know mm. wake up there's food the chef is there you know, no one asked me what's for dinner, you know. <laughs> um, so it was quite a, a, an adjustment. But more than anything, it was also challenging uh, to a degree where imposter syndrome just kicked in for me. Mm. Um, I was then the girl that not, only managed, that not only managed the company, but I was the girl who had had a grasp of the, 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 the ship, who had actually held the thing mm. and navigated the thing and knew everything about what this ship is all about. So I had so much perspective from the operational side and shared the seat with people who had less of it, you know? Mm. And so imposter syndrome kicked in much uh, greatly, uh, greatly. And uh, yeah, so the low light, I would say, should have been a highlight coming back to land. Mm. But it was much, much harder for me to adjust back on land, you know? Uh, highlights, I can, uh, for my highlights, so my highlights maybe may not be 
what is tangible, uh, maybe no visible, but it's more of maybe rather an internal evolution. Um, in 2014, when I reached the Dredge Master milestone, I then decided to quieten the noise after so much noise followed me, you know, mm. the press and, you know, I then decided to quieten the noise for three years. And in these three years, I felt like I was, I was, uh, before the three years, I felt like I was losing myself. Mm. But within the three years, I, I embraced uh, uh, my journey wholeheartedly. I, I embraced being home with my husband. Um, I caught up with my parents and friends, you know. I appreciated life much more, you know, without the title, though it followed, but it wasn't really there. Mm. And I also gave birth to a beautiful young girl, Aww. you know. And so that has to be my highlight. But through this process, I really challenged my story. I really did. Because the press would continue to come through wanting to share about the first. I challenged my story and I realized actually why I needed to share it. And from realizing that, I made a decision to continue to share the story wholeheartedly and guilt-free. Instead mm -hmm. of trying to define it as the next perfect or the previous perfect one, you know, as I still doubted so much, I have so many flaws. I questioned my eloquence. I questioned my frankness, my loving of people, my, you know, I questioned so much of myself, but I then decided I'm going to own this wholeheartedly guilt-free. So I decided to put down the walls of fame and I realized they were robbing me of the gift of this unique journey worth embracing, you know, the penalty I paid from the walls of fame was brutal. It was brutal in a sense that uh, I had lost that 13-year-old. Mm. I had lost that 13-year-old. I had lost Ulondiwe, who wasn't really looking to become the first, you know? And so I decided to go back to her and ensure that I remained relatable to any other 13-year-old, lest they forget that in any territory, when you are new, everyone will attack you first and figure you out later. Mm. Mm. But you must never, ever lose sight of that. You must never, ever lose sight of who you are. Just simply know yourself, serve, and do the right thing. And so when I challenged my story to know that, that became an evolution. And so that is why I say my highlight is not much of a tangible or a, or a visible thing, but it's more of an internal evolution that I'm intentional in living now through social media, through my public speaking, through uh, my transport uh, conference facilitation uh, uh, platforms, and in any other platform that, uh, that uh, an opportunity that I, I, I get to be blessed with to be mm. that voice and hopefully change the narrative, the narrative that a black girl can't swim or black people can't swim and, and having to pull rank every time I say I'm a ship navigator and they shook their hands and, and uh, maybe they, 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 they go in disbelief that, you know, it's actually true. She you. actually drives a ship, yeah. you know, that big one that comes into harbors, not in the Navy, the other big one, that one, you know, that one. The, the Titanic one, you know? So, yeah, I think I'm going to stop. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're getting me emotional. I mean, that's absolutely that's absolutely beautiful. Mm. 
Yeah, it's always interesting when I when I ask this question about the highlights because I think we often assume that the highlights of people's journeys are the accomplishments, are the titles, and the awards. And I'm sure you've received so many of these beyond just being the first. But it's always something so much deeper. And I really love that answer to your question about your health. I love that answer. Um, Absolutely. Mm. Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate that, fellow. So, I mean, it leads in perfectly into um, my last and final question, which is my favorite question of, like, oh, I, I ask one of my guests this question. <clears throat> the question comes from my favorite quote, which is, be who you needed when you were younger. You know, I try to live by that because I believe that, um, you know, when we're young, we always need someone to look up to. We always wish someone was there for, for us in some way or other, even though we may not know it. And I feel like if we felt, if we needed someone then, then there's definitely a younger child out there who might need to hear a message from us now. Um, so I always mm-hmm. ask my questions, my, my guests this question. So if you could go back and talk to younger Londi, even if it could be like younger Londi when you were out on a ship, when you're starting your career, or it could be the 13-year-old you. If you could go back and talk to younger Londi, what would you say to her? Uh, hello. Um, I think, you know, um, my, now, mind you, I always go back to this. Now I'm realizing how many people look up to me now, the young girls that look up to me now. And I, I remember that, I remember saying we've become the the sisters we never had. Mm. I think I think for me when I took that break, I wanted to show up for that young girl. Deciding to go back publicly for me was a conscious decision to show up for that girl, you know. And I think it would be you are enough. I say this because um, having followed. Uh, uh, thought leaders and authentic thought leaders, your, the likes of Chimamanda Ngozi, you know, the likes mm-hmm. of Brene Brown, who are not shy to just remain vulnerable, to be who they are, and to, to, to just hold every girl's hand that they feel is worth holding. For me, I have learned so much from thought leaders, and I've learned so much from people who I look up to, especially in the fact that don't lose who you are. You are enough. Don't lose who you are. You are enough. And it always brings me back to that 13-year-old that there definitely is a higher higher power that is in charge of your destiny. Mm-hmm. So losing yourself in the midst of the noise doesn't serve your destiny. And so I want you to know that you are enough. Mm. Mm. Ah, that was beautiful. You are enough. I feel like even for me at this big age, okay, I'm still young, but <laughs> even at my big age, <laughs> that's still a very relevant message to someone like mm-hmm. even me. Yeah, uh, yeah wait. I'm glad. So, Lundi, um, you touched on it a little bit, and I know I said I had already asked my last question, but because you touched on it a little bit, I just want to talk about it. Tell, me, tell us a little bit about who have been the influences in your life. Mm. Definitely Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie for me. She's a mom, she's a wife, a thought leader, and just, you know, a a feminist. And, you know, she's an African dream for every girl child, or rather for me, you know. Mm. Um, She's presented so much um, power in the most purest form. 
and uh, I relate a lot to her and I aspire to see more of, of, of those, of, of people like her. And I aspire to be one of those that become that influential to young girls mm-hmm. like she has to me. Um, Brene Brown is by all means, by for me, she's just a ball of energy that just gets it, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, when you get lost in translation, that you remember what feels right in your heart, you know. Unfortunately, when you get to much larger stages, you may want, you may lose yourself to want to seem like someone else or, or, or become what society may, pe- may perceive to be perfect, you know. And it's just tapping back to that, knowing who you are, knowing who you are, remaining vulnerable, re- remaining who, who you are, and, and, and just doing the right thing mm. and just leaving what feels right all the time, you know. And in that way, Whatever the next person may may say, however they may judge you, it doesn't affect you much and mm. it doesn't hinder your progress much because mm. you, you you just know what makes you happy and it, it's it's normally sufficient. It's enough because you are mm. enough. Because you are enough. Because you are enough. Yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much, Londi, for sharing your story with us today. Um, how, can, how can our listeners follow you, keep up with your work and get in touch with you if they wanted to. Oh, okay, cool. Um, Londi Nobo, Londi with a Y. I am Black Mermaid, Black Mermaid on social media, uh, Black Mermaid uh, with a Q. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, thank you so, so much. Listen, your story <laughs> is so inspirational and so inspiring. And I, I feel like this is definitely going to change lives. Hey, I mean, you're incredible. Honestly, you've become, because we've had a few conversations now, you've become one of my role models even now. Um, I really hope like this touches as, lives as much as it touched me. And guys, if you haven't already, you need to check out Londi's TED Talks and the Forbes Women Talk. I'll link them in the, in, the, in the description of the podcast and I'll link them on the website as well. So Londi, thank you so, so much for today. <laughs> thank you so so much Pelo, for having me continue doing what you do oh. um, you're a powerhouse yourself thank oh you so much oh my gosh <laughs> thank you bye bye thank you so much for tuning in guys don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review as always we love to engage with all of you so feel free to pop us an email if you have any feedback or guest recommendations on info at shebegate.com We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so don't forget to tag us on your posts at SheBrigade. See you next week.